morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk about college football, the NFL, the MLB, with a little bit of uh, our strange but true baseball injury segment. Check that out. And of course, our signature segments, your weekly turtle tab, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions here on episode 129. Fun fact, something I didn't know, and uh, this might be common knowledge, I don't know, but if it's not, I'm now sharing it with you. But Iowa State men's basketball team is the only team to appear and have a 100% winning percentage in the Big 12 tourney, the basketball, the Big 12 basketball. I probably worded that really bad. So we've appeared, <laughs> they win 100% of the time they win. Is pretty much what I said. That's not what I meant, though. They've made it to the tournament five times, and they've won the tournament five times. They've never lost the tournament game, the, the champion, the final championship game. Wow, we should just oh, let's just you're talking about the final. That's bad. All right, and that was so bad. I know what you're trying to say now. That's what I was trying to say. This is why I could never be the host of Jerry. Now I <laughs> say Iowa State. Yeah, five appearances in the the final game. We've won five five times. Kansas has made it uh, 14 times, and they've only won 11. We're the only team to – you know what I'm trying to say. I'm going to quit trying to restate what I'm trying to have say. A, have a 100% winning percentage in Big 12 men's basketball championship games, like in the final game. Tournament championship. 12 tournament. Tournament. Yes. This is why we are a premier Midwestern Bay Sports Podcast made up of three hosts, two of which know what they're talking about. Ah. Well – I brought that up is because we don't have anything uh men's basketball or women's basketball related to talk about today so there's your there's your basketball yep there you have it we do have some cyclone football to talk about mostly how it relates to how our cyclones fared in the nfl draft um there was only one cyclone drafted and frankly it wasn't the one i expected i probably expected um probably two cyclones to get drafted i definitely expected jaquan bailey to get drafted i was kind of surprised when he wasn't more on him in a minute. But the only Cyclone that was drafted this year was Kane Nwongu, believe it or not. The only Cyclone drafted. He was drafted in the third round um, by the Minnesota Vikings, actually. So Kane Nwongu will head um, north um, to Minnesota. He'll compete for the kick return job um, since he was one of the better kick returners in the country at Iowa State. Um, he will have some competition there as um, Amir Abdullah is still in Minnesota and he was, um, he was the kick turner last year. And then um, the Vikings also drafted um, Smith Marset from Iowa, who is also a good kick returner at Iowa. So it'll be an old Iowa, Iowa state battle for the kick returner job in, uh, in training camp at Minnesota. So keep an eye on that. Um, your other cyclones, who um, these were all non-drafted, but signed as undrafted free agents after the draft. Dylan Sainer signed with the Saints, Landon Akers with the Rams, Jaquan Bailey ended up with the Eagles, and Lawrence White with the Buccaneers. So that was it. Those were only five draft-eligible Cyclones. Um, one drafted, four there. Um, any other thoughts on the Cyclone draft? Yeah, I mean, when I saw Kane Nwangu's name come off the board in round three, I was, I was surprised, uh, but to be... To be honest, he has a unique talent in kick returning. He has the potential to be one of those 
uh, game-changing athletes as a kick returner, and he excelled at it at Iowa State uh, in his time there with the opportunities that he was, um, that is, if they actually ever kicked it. Um, I think Dylan Sainer has a chance to actually make the Saints roster uh, as he is graded as one of the best blocking tight ends in this draft. Um, I was kind of surprised. I thought he might be a late sixth or seventh round draft pick, um, but he was able to be picked up by the Saints shortly after. Jaquan Bailey, I do think, has uh, a really good shot at making the Eagles roster potentially as well. Uh, as an edge rusher, those are always a hot commodity uh, in the NFL. There's always a need for great edge rush. Um, but other than that, we'll uh, look to see if any other Cyclones can continue to make rosters as training camp begins um, later on this year, this summer for NFL team. Speaking of the NFL draft, it did happen this past weekend. There were some things. It is how Iowa State players would get drafted. Is right. right. And there were some things that were expected, and there are some things that you can always count on. Uh, one of those being that the Raiders really only care about arm length in the draft because <laughs> all of their draft picks are reaches. Uh, they ended up reaching for a second round talent. Um, everyone graded their uh, first round draft pick as a second round ta- talent and offensive tackle uh, for them. And then they ended up actually getting a smart pick with their second round draft pick a safety, but yeah, it's just the Raiders' nature to always reach on draft picks. They're reaching for those character guys, you know, as Maycock and Gruden. Uh, we'll see how it plays out because it's led them to a lot of uh, sub-500 seasons recently, and it hasn't played out too kindly for them. Um, speaking of other draft things that happened, uh, quarterbacks were kind of what we expected. Uh, Trevor Lawrence went first overall to the Jaguars. That was obvious, pretty obvious throughout this whole thing. Uh, as it kept getting clearer, um, Zach Wilson was ended up, ended up getting drafted by the Jets. We all thought that was the thing. One of the biggest controversies, though, was who were the uh, 49ers going to draft? They ended up taking Trey Lance over Mac Jones or Justin Fields. Speaking of Justin Fields, he fell to or fell for what everyone else thought. Uh, in the draft, but he went to the Chicago Bears. The Bears actually traded up to get him at pick 11. uh, And then Mac Jones ended up falling perfectly to where the New England Patriots were able to pick him up as the successor to Cam Newton in New England. That's where I thought Mac Jones was probably going to be the best fit. He has basically Bill Belichick in New England style of offense written all over his Uh, game and how his style of play. So I figured that one would be the case. Uh, But for other teams around the NFL, it seemed like there were a ton of trades in the first couple of rounds because maybe not a lot of, there might not have been a lot of tape on some of the other guys in the later rounds. So a lot of teams were trying to shuffle around to get the players that they absolutely wanted to fill certain voids in their roster. Uh, Another thing that did come out right before the draft was Aaron Rodgers' distaste, displeasure for general management. And as it's grown apparent more recently, his general disdain for the general manager there in Green Bay and how he basically says he either wants the general manager out 
or Aaron Rodgers, he himself will be out of the organization. So there were rumors that the Packers might try and get a trade done right before the NFL draft. That did not happen going into the first round. Um, so we will see what happens. I expect that the rumors will continue to pick up after June 1 because that's when the Packers can begin to split up the salary cap hit of Rodgers a little bit in the coming years of his contract. So he could be traded then, but there was a apparent offer on the table from the San Francisco 49ers that the Packers ended up turning down. It included a host of picks and including, I believe, three first round picks, if that was correct, and then a bunch of other uh, later round draft picks. So It'll be interesting to see if Aaron Rodgers remains in a Packers uniform, if he's traded, or if he decides to just retire in that situation. So we'll see. I don't know if Mike has any additional thoughts or what he thought about his Minnesota Vikings. On the Aaron Rodgers topic, I mean, he's just been generally upset with the Packers for a long time. It's not necessarily new. Um, whether or not there's any more to these rumors than there were to any of the other ones over the last seemingly forever that Aaron Rodgers is upset is yet to be seen, right? I feel like this is the story every offseason. There's drama with Aaron Rodgers. He goes back to the Packers anyway, and then he has a great year, right? Like, that's just sort of the way it goes. So until something actually happens, like he holds out, he gets traded, he retires, something like that, I'm not going to say there's anything other than business as usual because this just sort of happens. I'm not, if I'm a Packers fan, I'm not too concerned yet. Just relax. He'll be fine. It'll all be fine. One thing, one thing obvious, was apparent, though, that the Packers did not go and get any offensive help for him in the first round. I don't believe they have drafted an offensive player, offensive skill player outside of quarterback since – the early 2000s or something like that. That was the stat that came out. So they, again, went defense in the first round. Um, they did get some help at receiver, I believe, in the third round. But Aaron Rodgers has some frustration with that front office for not surrounding him with talent outside of Devontae Adams or uh, draft trading up to draft his backup quarterback uh, last year who actually really never was his backup because he only suited up for one game the entire season. So that was an interesting turn of events there. Obviously, we will continue to follow that situation. But as Mike said, for now, uh, it seems like it might be business as usual unless something else happens or if Aaron Rodgers affirms the fact that he will officially sit out if he is disgruntled and will not indeed the Green Bay Packers next. Yep, but... It's a long way till actual football season. Now that the draft is over, we can stop talking about football until like late July. So that's good because now that we can stop talking about football, it means that we can focus our attention more on the baseball season as well as the NBA and NHL playoffs, which are going to be starting here over the next uh, three or so weeks. Um, across the MLB, the key, the, the thing for this week was Injuries. Injuries were the key to this week. We had a couple of uh, key injuries. One out west with the Dodgers. Um, their awesome young pitcher, May, um, uh, tore his UCL, UCL. That's in your elbow. It's the, the ligament to do your elbow. 
That's the one that requires Tommy John surgery. Tommy John surgery isn't good. He's out for the year at least. Um, could miss part of next year too, depending on how the recovery goes. So that's just not good for Dustin May. Um, other big injury to a young star on the south side of Chicago, um, Luis Robert, um, the White Sox young budding star in center field, um, had a full tear of his hip flexor and is out at least three months, could be the entire year. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on um, that. The White Sox, um, as we mentioned in our MLB preview segment, don't have great depth. So the second injury to a major contributor in the outfield certainly, uh, certainly won't be great for them. Um, we also had a list to add to our, or an injury to add to our strange but true baseball injuries where we're talking about injuries, right, Kyle? We do indeed. And this goes back out West, this time in the American lead. And Oakland Athletics pitcher by the name of Jesus Luzardo uh, has a hairline fracture in his hand. He hurt his hand while hitting the table while playing video games. Uh, he got angry and upset over the outcome of some event while he was playing video games, and he decided to hit his desk in frustration. Turns out he fractured his finger. He ended up was ended up being cleared to pitch the uh, next day after incurring the injury, but later on uh, an X-ray performed revealed that he does have that hairline fracture. So just goes to show you kids or kids, gentlemen, ladies out there, all of our listeners, if you do indeed get frustrated, be careful of your fingers. They're pretty fragile, Uh, especially if you do happen to be an athlete and you need those fingers in order to perform your job at a high level. So Things I would suggest, find a stuffed animal, throw that across the room instead. Much better way to take out your anger. You're not going to break anything, either yourself or your stuff. That's what I recommend. Find yourself a good stuffed animal. That's what I do. Throw a stuffed animal across the room. Great way to take out your anger. Don't pound tables. Doesn't work. Do you know what else doesn't seem to work? The Mets offense when Jacob deGrom is pitching. He's been phenomenal this year. He's given up uh, going into his start that he had this weekend. He had only given up two earned runs the entire year, yet he had managed to have two losses as well. That's pretty impressive when you only have two earned runs given up and two losses. Yeah. It just uh, has been some tough sailing for uh, the Mets offense when Jacob DeGrom is pitching. And that's not new either, is it, Kyle? It, no, it's not. It's a staggering trend. If you look back at, uh, I forget what year it was where he won uh, NL Cy Young. Didn't he have a losing record whilst winning the NL Cy Young in one of his past two, or well, he's won it twice in the past three years. But one of those times, I believe he lost, or he had a losing record while winning it. Um, the Mets just can't seem to give him any run support. He seen in every start this season, he's gotten less than three runs of support on average, which is how you end up with two losses so far on the season while only giving up two earned runs. All he, he did not have a losing record um, when he got one Cy Young. He's got two Cy Youngs in 2018 and 2019. 
Um, and in those years, he was 10 and 9 and 11 and 8, respective. So not quite losing records, but still, 10 and 11 wins is very, very little for a Cy Young winner. That just goes like that would never happen 15 years ago because wins and losses mattered to the voters a lot more 15 years ago than they did. So, like, Johan Santana lost to Cy Young to Bartolo Colon once in the early 2000s just because Bartolo Colon won a ridiculous number of games, but Irvin Sa- uh, but Johan Santana's stats were just significantly better in every other facet of the game. Wins and losses used to matter a lot more for pitchers now, but voters are smarter now because, you know, your offense can just suck and then, you know, you don't win if your offense sucks, even if you pitch great, as Jacob deGrom has found out. Well, and... I mean, it's not that Jacob deGrom's not trying to help his case either. So far at the plate this season, in four out of his five starts, he's batted, and he's batting 462 with a 538 on-base percentage. Uh, and that's just not – he's he's trying to help his own cause, and he he's just not getting any run support at all from the offense. And that is something that the Mets are going to have to have to fix in order. I mean, you're, you're wasting the best pitcher in the game's talent right now really is what you're doing. And I, they're either going to have to pay him or they're going to lose him at some point. So you better start, you better start uh, taking advantage of it now while he's on the contract that he is. Yeah. And I mean, they're not totally wasting. I mean, they're tied for first in their division, so it's not like they've been awful, but still, win those one nothing ball games. So it since 2014, here's just one final stat for Jacob DeGrom. So baseball reference tracks cheap wins versus tough losses. So basically, it's losses in quality starts versus wins in non-quality starts. DeGrom made it to the majors in 2014 since when this stat has been uh, collected he ranks second in Major League Baseball in tough losses. So that is games when he has gone out and had a quality start, but has ended up losing the game because his team doesn't provide him enough run support. So that just goes to show, man, 27 losses in quality starts that he's thrown. That's pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. Do you know what else? I've got a remarkable video for you all as part of our weekly turtle tab um, this week. You got to go find this on Twitter. Um, Betsy Halfan, Twins beat writer for the Pioneer Press, tweeted this out originally. You have to go find Nelson Cruz holding up Willens Astadio like he's Simba from The Lion King. It was pretty glorious. They do a, they do a, you know, sometimes you see that at, uh, sporting events, right? They do like the Lion King cam, right? Mostly meant for like parents with babies. But, you know, sometimes it's meant for Nelson Cruz with Will and Dostadio. Go find that video on Twitter if you want to be entertained. Um, it was pretty glorious to watch, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say. Dostadio's um, week on the field was also pretty good. He appeared in three games this week, started two and appeared late in the second game. Um, he ended up going three for nine um, on the week. Um, he did have a home run as well. His slash line for the year is now 291, 286, with a slugging percentage of 436. So he's still been solid and a a slightly above average hitter 
basically is what he's been uh, so far. But when you've got a slightly above average hitter who can play pretty much anywhere and can get held up like Simba from the Lion King by your designated hitter, totally worth having him on the roster. Please go take a look at that video. You will not be disappointed. What I have been disappointed in, though, this year is the umpiring around first base and as far as it's been with interference calls around first base. So that, again, is going to be the topic of Mike's stupid rules this week. So remember, this was also the topic at one point um, in the World Series back in, that was the 2019, we had a very controversial play um, around interference at first base. But so basically, we're going to preface it like this. So everybody, while you're listening, hit pause and go pull up a picture of a baseball diamond, like properly marked baseball diamond. Okay, hit play once you get it. Okay, now you see on first base, right? About halfway up the first baseline, you see the foul line and there's another line there, right? So normally when you're running between bases, you get to choose your own baseline between point A and point B, right? Once you choose your own baseline going towards the base, that's the line you have to be in. You're given some flexibility. When you're going to first base, you don't have that flexibility like you do to other bases. Once that line appears, you get like halfway to first base, you have to be on the foul ball side of first base to be outside of the, um, the fielder's way of um, fielding that ball. If you're on the inside in fair territory, you are liable to be called for interference. That is not your area to be running. The line is there for a reason. It's to tell you to be on that side of the base. So you see that, right? So runners, you'll see managers argue about that all the time because the runner didn't, how do you know the runner interfered with the play? Technically, it doesn't matter. If it was a somewhat close play, you can call the batter runner out for being on the in play, so left side of the first base line on those plays. Now, it can go the other way, too, with fielders being called for interference while, um, while fielding a ball around first base, right? Um, you saw this. Uh, it was the Brewers. I'm not sure who they were playing, but it was um, in a Brewers game this week um, where the pitcher got called for interference despite being on the in-play side of first base, right? A fielder should not be called for interference with the runner at first base for being in play because the runner is not supposed to be there. You can't interfere with the runner when a runner is not where he's supposed to be. If the runner is not where he's supposed to be, he's interfering with you, not the other way around, right? So there you go. On first base, you have to be on the foul ball side of first base as you're running down the first baseline, not to be called for interfering. Are there any questions about that? I have some comments. Yeah, go for it. Let me preface this by saying I don't like the call obviously uh not not a big fan of that call however marty foster who is the umpire who made this call said that he didn't believe the pitcher was done fielding the ball essentially it was after the toss had happened that he still impeded the runner and there is anything in the rule book that says that the runner is not impeded if they're to the left of the baseline running the first base, technically. I mean, yes, technically that's correct. There's no text in the rules to say that. I agree. So his judgment call was that the pitcher was done fielding the ball, therefore he needs to get out of the way of the runner, which is fair, and that the runner was impeded getting the first base, which I don't 
that, that, that's what I don't like. I understand what his rationale is, and now you all hopefully understand what his rationale is, and I don't agree with it. It's a bad judgment call because there is no way that he could run fast enough to beat the ball to the base. No way. If you go back and watch that video over and over again, even if he was in an all-out sprint the whole time, he would not have made it to the bag before he was out. Therefore, how can he be impeded getting to the base? Because there is no possibility of him getting to the base. I, it's just a bad judgment call, man. Like, I understand. I don't think it's a bad mis- – I don't think it's misinterpretation of the rules. Just a bad judgment call and a bad call overall, in my opinion. It's, I mean, I don't think it's a misinterpretation to the point that it's, like, protestable. Go back and find that Mike Stupid Rules segment if you want a clarification on that. But, um, but I think, right, like – you can't say he impeded the runner when he wasn't in a place where the runner can be impeded. And, and that's, the fact that's that my, was, that's my thing. And the uh, fact that he was already so, out by the time he got to the potential interference on the play. That's my biggest gripe there. Cause I still think you can make the argument that technically he would have been impeded regardless of where the runner's at because the pitcher is fielding the ball. But the pitcher has every right to be in fair territory. Yeah. Does he? He's playing the ball. But he wasn't at that time is what I'm saying, right? He already got rid of the ball. He wasn't in the act. But he was backing up at the time too. Either way, if you're a pitcher out there, you should go back and watch Trevor Bauer make the same play, same exact play at first base. He underhand tosses the ball and immediately sprint back pedals out of the way so that there would be no controversy whatsoever directly looks the umpire in the eyes and just makes sure that he wasn't going to get called for the same type of BS that was called previously. I did like that. I did. That was, that was a nice touch by Trevor Bauer. So they go run on the foul ball side of the first baseline. If you play softball, they even like have an orange safety base there for you. Run for that. It's better anyway. I think they do in Little League too, don't they? They do, they do in Iowa anyway. At a lot of levels, yes. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of the – I do too. It means I don't have to run into as many first basements. It's a good thing. What's not a good thing is our prediction ability this week. It was it was not good. It's not, not a good week. Um, three predictions off the board. All of them wrong. One from each of your co-hosts besides me. I was I was perfect. I was a perfect zero for zero this week. Go me. Um, but Wyatt's prediction was that the Cubs would not be in last place at the start of May. They were in last place by half a game at the start of May. So for that, Wyatt gets a nah. Nah. Um, Kyle put the Royals would sweep the Twins. The Twins took two out of three from the Royals. That is not a sweep. So for that, Kyle gets a nah. Nah. And Josh predicted that the Brewers would sweep the Marlins. They did not do that. So for that, Josh gets a nah. Nah. That's it for our accountability session. Kyle, do you want to start uh, – Start putting something back on the board. Sure. It's probably going to be wrong anyway. So tonight, the Royal tonight, as in Monday night, May 3rd, the Royals have called up one of their top pitching prospects, Daniel Lynch. He will make his uh, debut for the Royals uh, in the game against the Cleveland Indians. My prediction is that in his major league debut, he will pitch at least six innings and allow less than three earned runs. So two or fewer earned runs. Mm. So you're saying he'll do slightly better than a quality start. 
Because a quality start yeah. would be six innings and three or less runs. You're saying right. three or less runs. Well, so a quality start is three or less. And six innings. And six innings. No. Yes, but you're saying less than three runs as opposed to three or less. Right. Yeah, so he will be pitching slightly better than – I got you. Yep. We're, we're there. We're there yep. for sure. Yep. Okay. Boy, I don't know. Um, triple? I, I have no idea what to give this. Sure. Why not? There's no numbers that I can go crunch. I'm, I'm fine with the triple. He has, he has yet to pitch above high a ball either. So yeah, I'm fine with that triple. I also had another prediction from this week that we should probably end up scoring. I did predict during the week, right before the NFL draft, just before the start of round one, that Aaron Rodgers would be traded and not only that he will be traded, I predicted the team he's being traded to, and I said it will be the Denver Broncos. I mean, now, what do you think about this, Wyatt? It ain't going to happen. No way. I mean, I don't think so. He isn't going anywhere, or if he does, he's going to retire. So Home run? Might as well hit it out of the park, baby. Yeah, I think so. Home run. That ain't happening. Home run it is. Um, my prediction so Byron Buxton won the American League Player of the Month for the month of April. He's been he probably had the best month for a twin in the history of the twins. Um, my prediction is going to keep this going, and he will eventually win American League MVP. So the odds of Byron Buxton getting injured this season are extremely high. He does and, tend to get injured, and also the in order to be an American League MVP, you also have to be on a decent team. Uh, we can t- take a look at another team in recent history in the American League Central Division. Jose Abreu has been positioned to be an American League multiple years, but has never gotten adequate votes because the White Sox have always been absolute trash while he's been playing well for them. He finally got it last season in 2020. So with all that being said, I believe this is at least a triple because I think that he's going to get hurt and probably miss significant time, which will, which will extremely hurt or put a dampening on his chances plus the fact that Mike Trout if he stays healthy with the Angels being a much better baseball team right now may end up winning it's still pretty dang early in the season to making an MVP prediction I think maybe I'm wrong what do, what do you think about that because I think that alone could make it a home run mm, Mike what did what did yeah. you want okay so I would take a home run for that I know you'll take a home run for that <laughs> Which means he's fine with the triple. I don't care. That's fine. We can give him a triple. I guess I didn't really care either way. I just wanted to. I think it's home run worthy. I'm I think it's too. AL MVP in April, guys. Is, yeah. How many hot starts are there in April that turn into people we'll falling them. apart? I'll, I'll be generous. You'll be generous. Okay. All right. So home run for sure. Home run. Very good. I'm going to say that Marty Foster, the aforementioned umpire who made the uh, bad judgment call, is going to make another bad call this week. And my criteria for a bad call is he'll end up on a John Boy media breakdown. where okay. he... John Boy has to talk about him explicitly this week. Yeah, exactly. It's a call that he made. and yeah, So, so he, he's been in two John Boy videos. Uh, the, the one we were just talking about and also a bad uh, check swing on a bunt. that. The so he is off to a flaming hot start this season for being as part of John Boy's content career. Eh, for, for now, yeah. I mean, he's having a rough a rough start. But he'll have another bad call this week. Um, Triple? Home run? 
I mean, I think it'd be a home run. Sure. I guess it's... We're, in a ho- we're in a home run swinging mood today. Why not? Yeah. It is. But is this the short porch? It, uh, this is it... to right. This is to right field in Yankee Stadium where you can pretty much hit a pop up and it's and it's gone. Yeah, like that. Like that one text I sent you this weekend, Mike, where Hunter Dozier hit a home run, and I was like, "That's an out at Kaufman." Uh huh. Yeah, ballparks are different. Baseball is the only sport where the playing field differs by stadium. Fun fact. Just saying. Um, do we got anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, he's still alive. He's still doing good. Um, he does have a prediction. He is weighing in on the Aaron Rodgers saga as well, which is write that down prediction. He is going to predict that Aaron Rodgers will play for the Packers. And um, he did make some clarifying points about it. He said that um, he will play. So um, basically, he status, basically, he's on the Packers roster. Yeah. So if he would like get hurt in training camp, Josh is excluding that. So hurt in training camp, but still on the roster. Josh's prediction would be right. I mean, I yeah, I think this is gonna happen. I don't it's like think... a single to me, right? It doesn't seem like yeah. there's less than a 50-50 chance on this to me. Yeah, I think so. Bias because I don't think he's going anywhere. So I don't know. I guess I don't have a bias. Not a fourth home run. No, definitely not a fourth home run. I'm probably thinking single. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Single it is. So with a single, triple, and three home runs, that's right, count them five, five predictions in our Write That Down prediction segment. That means we are at the end of that segment, which means we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 129 of the Cast. Appreciate y'all sticking around and listening to us talk about sports. Check out our Instagram, Matt8311Cast, of course. But signing off for the 8311Cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.